You are listening to Pandora's Box Radio with Kalia LaRoche. For more information about my products and services, counseling, coaching, hypnotherapy, books, and audios, please visit NarcissismFree.com or PathBackToSelf.com. Hello and welcome to Pandora's Box. This is Kalia, and today the topic of our podcast is when your children are narcissistic or codependent. And this might be a good podcast for anybody, even if you don't have children, because it really delves into the dysfunctional family. So even if you're younger and you're planning on having children, or even if you are just a child of a dysfunctional family, you might find this podcast useful. When we're breaking patterns of toxicity in our relationships, the children that we bring into these relationships will more than likely be affected by these patterns. If we ourselves have been codependent and have been involved with addicts, bipolar partners, narcissists, or borderline partners, how can we expect that our children won't be affected? especially if these partners are the mothers or fathers of our children. Even if you're much healthier now, you've done a lot of your work, than when you had your children, your children were shaped by the dynamics they were exposed to in their early childhood. We all are. And as resilient as we believe that children are, They're little sponges that absorb everything in their environment. They develop coping mechanisms to deal with their own pain and confusion. So there's a dark side to bringing children into the world when our personal relationships are toxic. They, like us, will polarize to one end of the spectrum or the other in terms of disorders of narcissism or codependency. So we shouldn't be too surprised when we end up having dysfunctional relationships with our own children, especially when they're teenagers and adults. I've heard some horror stories from both mothers and fathers having to do with their children, and I'm living my own horror story. There are many mothers and fathers whose children are taken away from them by a narcissistic ex, The narcissist who's all about winning at all costs can only feel that they have won when they feel that the other has lost. There's no win-win, and there's no real consideration for what's good for that child or the children. They battle in court over full custody of the children, convincing the court that the other parent is an alcoholic, drug addict, abusive or mentally unstable, and ultimately unable to care for the children. Narcissistic people have no issues with lying and painting the other in a bad light, regardless of whether it's true or not. To the narcissist, it's war and anything goes. I've also seen the same dynamic with narcissistic or borderline women where anything goes in their battle to take the children from a loving father. So it works both ways. The courts aren't very good at detecting a manipulation, nor is the average person. 
you almost have to experience narcissistic type manipulation personally in order to fully understand how it works. Narcissistic people typically present very well. They can seem sweet, kind, loving, caring, concerned, and empathetic. But underneath the exterior presentation is a vindictive, hateful, and cruel person. That cruelty is commonly directed towards the people that they most want to destroy in their war games and the people that they're most threatened by. So if you've lost your children in one of these war games, you're living in the reality that the children are now being fully influenced by that narcissistic parent and turned against you. Narcissists also have no problem telling the children what is wrong with you based on their lies and fabrications. They're often successful at convincing the children that you're not suitable to be a parent and therefore they shouldn't see you. If they don't try and take the children from you, they may be the type of parent that ignores their relationship with their children. Or they might be a Disneyland parent who has fun with the kids on the weekend but never takes any responsibility for parenting them. Regardless of the situation, the children are going to be affected and either become like the narcissistic parent or polarize to a more codependent opposite. When children polarize to the opposite, they develop more people-pleasing, caretaking behaviors where they work to earn the attention and approval of the narcissistic, alcoholic, or avoidant parent. If you're a parent, you might not realize how your children are being affected until they're teenagers or even adults. And don't be surprised if they migrate towards relationships with, with people who are like the parent that they've spent their life trying to seek approval from. If they're used to unstable environments, they may migrate towards unstable people. This is typical for anyone who grows up in a dysfunctional environment. Now, I've worked with a lot of parents who don't have relationships with their adult children, and I'm one of these people. It's really painful when our adult children won't have anything to do with us for a variety of reasons. Sometimes we don't understand what those reasons are. But when a child goes no contact with you, it brings up the question, am I such a horrible person that my own children don't want to have contact with me? I've worked with children of narcissistic parents who have made the choice to go no contact with their parents because that parent continues to abuse, control, manipulate, and devalue them. I completely support this choice. As it's an individual choice, only that child of the narcissistic parent can make that choice. But then I have to ask myself, does my son see me as someone who he can't have a relationship with because of some defect in me? I think we all need to be able to self-reflect and ask ourselves these important questions, but we also need to realize that there are many reasons a child goes no contact with a parent. 
Sometimes it's because the parent is narcissistic, controlling, manipulative, or abusive. Sometimes it's because the adult child is partnered with someone who is narcissistic, controlling, manipulative, or abusive. And sometimes it's because that child himself or herself is addicted, manipulative, controlling, and or narcissistic. If a child is doing something that they know deep down is wrong, or they feel a parent won't approve of, they may avoid that parent as a way of managing their own shame. We also have to look at society and how society shapes each generation. The current millennial generation have grown up largely on technology and may not have a lot of close connections with their parents. As young people, they prefer to text their friends, be on social media, and play video games than interact with their parents. They might see this interaction with parents as uncool. We also live in an age where children are much more entitled, and they expect their parents to do for them. That's kind of the role of the parent, is just to do for them, to take care of them, even after they've grown up. A three-year-old may throw a tantrum in the store when he doesn't get what he wants, but a teenage or adult child may just stop talking to you if they don't get what they want. And in many cases, you may not even know what it is that they want. One issue many of the parents I work with have is that they try and parent their children, set limits, and hold them accountable for their actions and behavior, and the other parent lets them do whatever they want. And we're talking about minor children here. We're not talking about adult children. As a result, they use the other parent's permissiveness against the parent that is attempting to hold them accountable. So these children learn to manipulate at a young age, to manipulate one parent against the other. The children may migrate towards the parent that lets them get away with everything and do whatever they want. In adulthood, those same kids may avoid parents who speak out against behavior they don't like or parents that set boundaries. Obviously, there's no rule book for parenting, and technically our role as parents end when our children turn 18. They're now on their own and able to make their own decisions. Some children pull away from their parents at this time in order to break the apron string, so to speak, and live life on their own terms. If a parent is narcissistic or controlling, a child may break away from the relationship in adulthood to avoid the narcissistic behavior. But children will also break away from parents because they want to live life on their own terms without a parent's input or without feeling their own guilt about some of the choices that they're making. For, for example, if a child's getting involved in drugs or drinking too much or you know, doing things that kind of went against the parents' guidelines when they were children, they may not want to see their parent because they're, they're ashamed. They don't want to have to look at their own behavior. In my case, my son got involved with a woman who, although was very lovely in the beginning, she flipped a switch after my son's father died and 
her behavior towards me completely changed. I couldn't figure out what I did wrong. I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that feeling. What did I do? What did I do to cause this switch to flip? So I did try to talk to her, meet with her, do whatever I could to repair the relationship, but anything I tried did not work. It tended to make it worse. The more I would try and connect with her in what I perceived to be a mature way, the more drama there was until it got to the point where I had to stop trying. She'd become very controlling and manipulative, telling other family members stories about me that had nothing to do with reality and convince them that I shouldn't be in my son's life or in my grandchildren's life. Because of my experience with narcissistic and borderline personality disorder, I knew I wasn't dealing with healthy behavior. Because of the damage that was done, I was no longer able to be in my son's life or my grandchildren's life. I tried to talk to my son and keep a connection with him, but he stopped responding to me altogether. And finally, I had to just completely let go. Having a history of being a scapegoat, I've talked about this before, I'd finished with this chapter of my life and no longer willing to play the role of the scapegoat. Although we can't prevent others from blaming us for what's going on inside of them, we can refuse to play the role of scapegoat, constantly defending ourselves against the accusations of others and putting ourselves in the line of fire. With the loss of my son, I've had to do a deep dive into my own parenting and look at what I might have done as a parent to cause my son to throw me under the bus so easily. There was a lot of difficulty in his childhood. I left his father when I was pregnant with him and was a single parent from day one. His father had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was five months pregnant, and in his manic phase, he did so much damage and destruction that I knew I couldn't bring a child into this kind of environment, so I ended the marriage. His dad was in and out of our lives for the first eight years. Meanwhile, I got involved with a narcissistic man, and my dark past was beginning to catch up with me. I was somewhat emotionally unavailable and checked out a lot, which is interesting because this is how I saw my own mother. Now, his father got stabilized on medication, was back working full time about eight years later, and wanted to have the opportunity to be a parent to our son. He lived in Alaska at the time. And this was such a vulnerable time for me. I was in full-blown PTSD as a result of the narcissistic relationship I was in. And I didn't know anything about narcissism at this time. I was just trying to jump through all the hoops and deal with the crazy that was going on. So I agreed to let my son live with his dad for a period of time. And that period of time ended up being eight years. I wouldn't have never, ever expected it to be eight years, but it was. I only saw him in the summer, and he seemed pretty happy in Alaska. His dad seemed pretty stable. However, I realized after my son came back to live with me at the age of 16 that his dad had been very difficult to live with. I thought I had made it clear 
that my son could always come back and live with me, but I realized that a parent should never present a young child with a choice like that because they end up feeling like they're betraying the parent that they're not choosing. We shouldn't ask our children to choose between parents. So that was one of the mistakes I made, of many, because I don't know one parent who doesn't feel they've made a ton of mistakes being a parent. Like I say, there's no rule book. We don't know. And we're a lot less mature when we're younger, when we're having children, than we are once those children are grown, especially if we're on a growth path. So my son seemed pretty loyal to his father and even seemed to take on a caretaking role with him to some degree. By the time his father died, he was 22 years old and had his first child on the way. His girlfriend told me directly that she didn't want visitors after the baby was born because she and my son wanted time alone to bond with the baby. So, you know, I could respect that. She she let me know this, and I, I did call several times right after I got the announcement that the baby was born, but my calls weren't returned. So I just waited patiently for them to call me back, but they never did. Later, when I was having a conversation with my son about why his girlfriend was treating me the way that she was, he told me that she was upset because they really didn't hear from me much after the baby was born. It was pretty crazy-making. It was one of those situations where I was damned if I did and damned if I didn't. I couldn't win no matter what I did, and I just didn't know what to do anymore. I felt completely stuck. Well, they finally got married after the third child was born, And I had an internal struggle about whether or not I should attend the wedding. I knew it wouldn't be good for me. I knew I'd have no place of honor at the wedding, probably shoved into some dark corner and forgotten about. I had to seek therapy with a woman who specialized in repairing family relationships. And she told me that I should go to the wedding because if there was ever a time where my son wanted to repair the relationship, he would remember that I was either there or I wasn't there. So I needed to go and be my strong, loving self, knowing that I would not be treated well. And that was really hard for me, but I did it, and I got through it. I was absolutely accurate in my perceptions about how I would be treated at the wedding, but I kept telling myself I was just there to support my son's decision to marry a woman who would never welcome me into her life. And then I would leave. I was never introduced to my grandchildren nor introduced to anyone as my son's mother. I was replaced by his aunt on his father's side. After the wedding, I never saw my son again, nor did I hear from him again. That was the end. I had great love for my son, and I probably dwelled too much on the mistakes I made as a parent. I think when something like this happens, we do. We dwell on what did I do that was so wrong? What did I do that was so bad? Although I wasn't the same person I was when he was young, perhaps the mistakes I made back then had come back to haunt me. My reasoning is that if my son loved me and wanted me in his life, I would be there. He would stand up to his wife and not allow her to make such important decisions for him, one that involved cutting his mother out of his life. Sometimes I wonder 
if it wasn't even my son's choice and not hers, that I'm not in his life. If I did something so horrible that he wouldn't want me around, but I never saw any signs of my son not wanting me in his life until his wife began her negative focus on me. I always believed my son was the kind of person who would do the right thing and stand up for what was right. But I was wrong about that. He did what was easy. It's typical for those who have been alienated by an adult child to feel guilty and to go over every detail of their life with that child wondering where they went wrong. And it's good for us to be really honest with ourselves and be willing to reflect on our own behavior. But sometimes these things just aren't our fault. And there's nothing that we can do to fix it. Sometimes toxic and dysfunctional behavior is like a runaway train. We can't catch it. It gets away from us. Everybody in toxic and dysfunctional family systems are affected. And once our children are grown, they have to do their own work. We can apologize for anything we might have done to hurt or damage our own children, but those apologies often fall on deaf ears. Once the damage is done, it's sometimes very difficult to reverse. We can always repair damage in ourselves, but we rarely can do anything to repair damage in another. Once we're adults, we each are responsible for our own mental and emotional health. We have to face our own demons and heal our own wounds, but we can't heal the wounds of others. That's their work. If our adult children turn out to be narcissistic, we need to treat the situation as we would with any narcissist. Now, we may not choose to go no contact, but we do need to set healthy boundaries and not allow that child to be abusive or cruel to us. We need to call them on their behavior, and if they throw us away as a result, we need to let them go. Khalil Gibran, the poet, tells us in his poem that he calls your children, Your children are not your children. They are sons and daughters of life longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And although they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls. For their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. I was forced to let my son go, and it's painful, and I miss him. I'm deeply sad that I will likely never know my grandchildren, but I'm powerless in this situation, and I have no other choice but to let go. However, my heart is always an open door. And if ever he feels ready to reach out and talk to me, I will be here and I will listen. If he reaches out to me for support, I will offer all the support that I can. 
If he wants to tell me how I've hurt him or what he perceives that I've done wrong, I will listen and I will apologize for my failures as a parent. And if I never hear from him again, I will always hold him in my heart and pray for his happiness and his well-being. If your children are codependent, they may get involved with the wrong person and try to make them the right person. If your children are narcissistic, they may end up being the wrong person that someone else tries to make the right person. But realize that when your children are adults, they're like any other adult. They're responsible for their own path, their own choices, and the consequences of those choices. They're also responsible for their own healing. We have no other choice but to let them go, to be who they are, to make their choices, to live life on their own terms and deal with the consequences of life. And if they come back to us or want to have a healthy relationship with us, we can do everything within our power to have a healthy, mature, and empowering relationship with them. One where we allow them the freedom of their own choices and let life alone be their teacher. And one thing I can say to all of you parents out there is the real work begins with ourselves. We can never forget that the real work begins with ourselves, that we have to be able to work with whatever is coming up in us, no matter what circumstances that we find ourselves in. So I hope that this has been helpful for you. If you'd like to know more about me and my work with narcissistic abuse, you can visit my website, NarcissismFree.com. I thank you very much for listening today, and I will see you in the next podcast.